Section one of Little Saint Elizabeth and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ashley Jane. Little Saint Elizabeth and Other Stories by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Little Saint Elizabeth, Part One. She had not been brought up in America at all. She had been brought up in France in a beautiful chateau, and she had been born heiress to a great fortune, but nevertheless just now she felt as if she were very poor indeed, and yet her home was in one of the most splendid houses in New York. She had a lovely suite of apartments of her own, though she was only eleven years old. She had her own carriage and a saddle-horse, a train of masters and governesses and servants, and was regarded by all the children of the neighbourhood as a sort of grand and mysterious little princess, whose incomings and outgoings were to be watched with the greatest interest. "'There she is!' they would cry, flying to their windows to look at her. "'She is going out in her carriage. She is dressed all in black velvet and splendid fur. There she is! That is her own carriage!' She has millions of money, and she can have anything she wants. Jane says so. She is very pretty, too, but she is so pale and has such big, sorrowful black eyes. I should not be sorrowful if I were in her place. But Jane says the servants say she is always quiet and looks sad. Her maid says she lived with her aunt, and her aunt made her too religious. She rarely lifted her large dark eyes to look at them with any curiosity. She was not accustomed to the society of children. She had never had a child companion in her life, and these little Americans, who were so very rosy and gay, and who went out to walk or drive with groups of brothers and sisters, and even ran in the street laughing and playing and squabbling healthily, these children amazed her. Poor little Saint Elizabeth! She had not lived a very natural or healthy life herself, and she knew absolutely nothing of real childish pleasures. You see, it occurred in this way. When she was a baby of two years, her young father and mother died, within a week of each other, of a terrible fever, and the only near relatives the little one had were her Aunt Clotilda and Uncle Bertrand. Her Aunt Clotilda lived in Normandy, her Uncle Bertrand in New York. As these two were her only guardians, and as Bertrand de Rochemont was a gay bachelor, fond of pleasure and knowing nothing of babies, it was natural that he should be very willing that his elder sister should undertake the rearing and education of the child. Only, he wrote to Mademoiselle de Rochemont, don't end up by training her for an abbess, my dear Clotilda. There was a very great difference between these two people. The distance between the greystone chateau in Normandy and the brownstone mansion in New York was not nearly so great as the distance and difference between the two lives. And yet it was said that in her first youth, Mademoiselle de Rochemont had been as gay and fond of pleasure as either of her brothers. And then when her life was at its brightest and gayest, when she was a beautiful and brilliant young woman, she had had a great and bitter sorrow which has changed her for ever. From that time she had never left the house in which she had been born, and had lived the life of a nun in everything but being enclosed in convent walls. At first she had had her parents to take care of, but when they died she had been left entirely alone in the great chateau, and devoted herself to prayer and works of charity among the villagers and country people. "'Ah, she is good, she is a saint, mademoiselle,' the poor people always said when speaking of her but they also looked a little awe-stricken when she appeared, and never were sorry when she left them. She was a tall woman with a pale, rigid, handsome face which never smiled. She did nothing but good deeds, but however grateful her pensioners might be, 
Nobody would ever have dared to dream of loving her. She was just and cold and severe. She wore always a straight black serge gown, broad bands of white linen, and a rosary and crucifix at her waist. She read nothing but religious works and legends of the saints and martyrs, and adjoining her private apartments was a little stone chapel where the servants said she used to kneel on the cold floor before the altar and pray for hours in the middle of the night. The little cure of the village, who was plump and comfortable, and who had the kindest heart and the most cheerful soul in the world, used to remonstrate with her, always in a roundabout way, however, never quite as if he were referring directly to herself. "'One must not let oneself become the stone image of goodness,' he said once, "'since one is really of flesh and blood, and lives among flesh and blood, that is not best. No, no, it is not best. But Mademoiselle de Rochemont never seemed exactly of flesh and blood.' She was more like a marble female saint who had descended from her pedestal to walk upon the earth. And she did not change even when the baby Elizabeth was brought to her. She attended strictly to the child's comfort and prayed many prayers for her innocent soul, but it can be scarcely said that her manner was any softer or that she smiled any more. At first Elizabeth used to scream at the sight of the black, nun-like dress and the rigid, handsome face, but in course of time she became accustomed to them, and through living in an atmosphere so silent and without brightness, a few months changed her from a laughing, romping baby into a pale, quiet child who rarely made any childish noise at all. In this quiet way she became fond of her aunt. She saw little of anyone but the servants who were all trained to quietness also. As soon as she was old enough, her aunt began her religious training. Before she could speak plainly, she heard legends of saints and stories of martyrs. She was taken into the little chapel and taught to pray there. She believed in miracles, and would not have been surprised at any moment if she had met the child Jesus or the Virgin in the beautiful rambling gardens which surrounded the chateau. She was a sensitive, imaginative child, and the sacred romances she heard filled all her mind and made up her little life. She wished to be a saint herself, and spent hours in wandering in the terraced rose gardens, wondering if such a thing was possible in modern days, and what she must do to obtain such holy victory. Her chief sorrow was that she knew herself to be delicate and very timid, so timid that she often suffered when people did not suspect it, and she was afraid that she was not brave enough to be a martyr. Once, poor little one, when she was alone in her room, she held her hand over a burning wax candle, but the pain was so terrible that she could not keep it there. Indeed, she fell back white and faint, and sank upon her chair, breathless and in tears, because she felt sure that she could not chant holy songs if she were being burned at the stake. She had been vowed to the Virgin in her babyhood, and was always dressed in white and blue, but her little dress was a small conventual robe, straight and narrow cut of white woolen stuff, and banded plainly with blue at the waist. She did not look like other children, but she was very sweet and gentle, and her pure little pale face and large dark eyes had a lovely dreamy look. When she was old enough to visit the poor with her Aunt Clotilda, and she was hardly seven years old when it was considered proper that she should begin, the villagers did not stand in awe of her. They began to adore her, almost to worship her, as if she had indeed been a sacred child. The little ones delighted to look at her, to draw near her sometimes and touch her soft white and blue robe, and when they did so she always returned their looks with such a tender, sympathetic smile, and spoke to them in so gentle a voice that they were in ecstasies. They used to talk her over, tell stories about her when they were playing together afterward. The little mademoiselle, they said, 
She is a child saint. I have heard them say so. Sometimes there is a little light around her head. One day her little white robe will begin to shine too, and her long sleeves will be wings, and she will spread them and ascend through the blue skies to paradise. You will see if it is not so. So in this secluded world, in the grey old chateau, with no companion but her aunt, with no occupation but her studies and her charities, with no thoughts but those of saints and religious exercises, Elizabeth lived until she was eight years old. Then a great grief befell her. One morning Mademoiselle de Rochemont did not leave her room at the regular hour. As she never broke a rule she had made for herself and her household, this occasioned great wonder. Her old maid-servant waited half an hour, went to the door and took the liberty of listening to hear if she was up and moving about her room. There was no sound. Old Alice returned, quite agitated. Would Mademoiselle Elizabeth mind entering to see if all was well? Mademoiselle, her aunt, might be in the chapel. Elizabeth went. Her aunt was not in her room. Then she must be in the chapel. The child entered the sacred little place. The morning sun was streaming in through the stained-glass windows above the altar. A broad ray of mingled brilliant colours slanted to the stone floor and warmly touched a dark figure lying there. It was Aunt Tilda, who had sunk forward while kneeling at prayer and had died in the night. That was what the doctors said when they were sent for. She had been dead some hours. She had died of disease of the heart, and apparently without any pain or knowledge of the change coming to her. Her face was serene and beautiful, and the rigid look had melted away. Someone said she looked like little Mademoiselle Elizabeth, and her old servant Alice wept very much and said, Yes, it was so when she was young, before her unhappiness came. She had the same beautiful little face, but she was more gay, more of the world. Yes, they were much alike then. End of Little Saint Elizabeth Part 1 Recording by Ashley Jane